Have you ever noticed how some things just naturally go together, like bees and flowers, or plants and sunshine? But is symbiosis just an accident of evolution, or was it designed for a specific purpose? They are all a part of a designed interdependence that God has put on the earth. This is Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal. I'm Chris O'Brien with the Institute for Creation Research. It's amazing how so many things in nature correspond with one another. This is called symbiosis, which simply means living together. But are all symbiotic relationships beneficial to each organism within the system? And how did these associations begin in the first place? Please join us for the next 15 minutes as we learn about the fascinating design of symbiosis. Optimally, organisms that live together interact with each other in a wonderful and balanced way. ICR biologist Dr. Ken Cumming explains that these interactions can be positive, negative, or neutral. This living together, symbiosis, is called that because it's a process by which organisms have to come in contact with each other for life processes or to supply food or to reshape their environment so that they are working together well. It doesn't necessarily imply, however, that all these interactions are negative or even positive. They can be neutral or they can be both one way or both another way in terms of their interaction effect. This is because the two species might limit one another under some circumstances and enhance one another under other circumstances. Symbiosis can also be a combination of positive, negative, and neutral interactions. Commensalism is where one organism is benefited and the other is not affected. ICR biologist Dr. Gary Parker gives us an example of this positive-neutral type of symbiosis. The remora is a little fish that has a sucker on top of its head that can attach to the skin of a shark. It doesn't really slow the shark down in its swimming motion. It's so small. But sharks are sloppy eaters, so the remora gets to eat the leftovers. And so the remora benefits greatly, and the shark is largely unaffected. Dr. Cumming. Other examples of this relationship are orchids on trees, bee nest in a mouse hole, for example, in the spring, and anemones on seashells. These kinds of relationships are where one is benefited and the other one is fairly passive about the relationship. Interrelationship of organisms are part of the web of life and interdependence of the biosphere. Besides positive-neutral species interaction, there's also positive-negative symbiosis. Examples of this type of living arrangement are parasitism and predation. We usually think of a parasite as being in, but in reality it can be on, too, on the skin or on the hair or whatever. Examples of these that live in another organism are tapeworms, yuck, bacteria, and viruses. And some examples of organisms that live on a host are fleas and lice and moles, just a few examples. All these organisms receive nutrients from their host to its detriment. The host suffers as a result of the relationship while they are benefited for their life processes. Predators, on the other hand, such as lions and robins and toads, feed on antelope, worms, 
and beetles, respectively. Uh, the predator is large and the food is small, at least smaller than the predator itself. While we are repulsed by the thought of a treacherous parasite living in us, the action of predators, as a contrast, is considered the norm for wildlife. This is the way they live. Each one of these food levels, trophic levels, or food levels, has another source for its food. So, we have these levels in order to survive. In an ecosystem, an ecology setting, this is the food chain or the food hierarchy. And we call it nature. That's the way nature is. The most recognized type of symbiosis or species interdependency is where both organisms are mutually benefited. This is known as positive symbiosis, and there are many, many fascinating examples of this. Dr. Parker tells us how one little costly creature couldn't survive without his symbiotic relationship. An example that's kind of neat biologically, but some people find it a little <laughs> offensive, is the termite in Trichonympha a little protozoan, a little one-celled animal that lives in the gut of the termite. It may surprise you to know that termites cannot digest wood. They can bite off wood chips, but if they didn't have that little protozoan inside their gut, they'd just fill up with sawdust, you know, and die. <laughs> and then the little trichonympha can't bite off wood chips and couldn't move from place to place to find rotting logs. And so those two species are quite different. One's an insect, you know, and one's just the one-cell protozoan, are completely dependent upon one another. Dr. England takes us underwater to a coral reef where we find algae and its neighbors living beneficially together. It's interesting that coral, which grows in your warm tropical waters, is an animal. But they only grow in areas where the sunlight will penetrate. They won't grow deeper than what the light penetrates. You say, well, it's an animal, though. Why does it need the sunlight? Well, it turns out that there is an algae that lives within the tissues of the coral, and the sunlight enables it to undergo photosynthesis, which produces carbohydrates and oxygen for the coral. In fact, even the giant clams in the coral beds have algae embedded in their tissues. Uh, if you were to look at one of these giant clams, you'd see the tissues called the mantle sticking out from the shell of the animal, and it looks like he's got huge lips. And then he's got weird colors in there, very weird color patterns. But this is the algae, and it's feeding the clam internally. Dr. Parker tells us more about positive symbiosis that occurs in coral reefs. There are lots of really neat examples of symbiosis all around it. One of my favorites is one you see in snorkeling or scuba diving along a coral reef like the Florida Keys or the Great Barrier Reef in Australia. That's cleaning symbiosis. And it's just utterly amazing. You have these big fish like barracuda, predators with a mouthful of sharp teeth, and you know they're swimming through the ocean eating other little fish and shrimp and so on. And as they do so, they get their mouth full of all kinds of junk and debris, and what are they going to do? No toothbrush. And so they'll swim over and get in line literally at the local cleaning station. There may be a chunk of coral, you know, with some brightly colored gobies and wrasses and some shrimp. And, and here comes this big fish with a mouthful of fangs, cruises toward these little fish. And you'd think they'd run back in the rocks and hide. 
but instead into the jaws of death swim the little cleaners. Pick, 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 pick. Their shrimp get into the mouth of these big predatory fish. The fact that these little fish live mutually with predatory fish points to creation and a purposeful design. At the end of this, you might think the big fish would say, ah, clean teeth, snap, free meal, have the best of both worlds, but it doesn't do that. You know, it lets the little fish and shrimp back out. That is, it lets the little cleaner fish and shrimp back out and then leaves to go off eating other fish and shrimp. And this involves several different species, and each one of these is a created relationship involving recognition instincts on the part of the little fish and the big fish in order to make it work. And natural selection could ruin it. You know, one big fish that got in line and then planned to cheat, <laughs> you know, would wind up getting a lot of little fish to eat very easily, but then he'd ruin the whole relationship, and the big fish might wind up with uh, parasitic infections and gum disease and mouth disease and all that. Dr. England says scientific research supports creation as the means for symbiosis. But even with this evidence, many non-Christians in the scientific field will not acknowledge God as creator. What it's done to many non-creationists is it's actually caused many of them to go to a pantheistic position where matter creates itself and determines its own fate, which basically goes back to the individual who worships a wooden idol in their tent kind of thing. In many circles, that has become quite popular, in fact, which actually shows where it goes that you worship the creator or the creation, and you give them qualities of deity. But if you do that, you don't have a benevolent creator. So why do we see a benevolent creation? Dr. Cumming. Evolutionists say that these interactions have been a component of natural selection that has supported the gradual transformation of species. On the other hand, creationists say that these interactions are specializations within the types and they are within the natural range of variants that allow organisms to fill all sorts of niches. We can see in nature how symbiosis was designed by the Creator for the continued existence of life. But Dr. Cumming points out that we also see many examples of symbiotic relationships in the Bible. Job, in chapter 2, verse 7 and 8, recounts Satan's attack on him with boils. What are they? They're essentially just bacterial infections or parasites on humans known as Staphylococcus aureus. In the case of the psalmist, in Psalm 104, it talks about the lions who creep about in the night to capture prey. This is predation. And then they lie down in their dens during the day to digest their food and sleep off the exercise of the night. Lastly, when we read in Amos 7, verse 14, about his relationship to his vocation, he was speaking to Amaziah, and he said, that he was a gatherer of sycamore fruit. Well, if you know about sycamore fruit, the relationship there of a, being a gatherer it was that he was not only a shepherd, but he would climb up into the sycamore trees, and these fruit had to be pricked with a sharp object in order to cause the fruit to finish their maturation and develop into a full-blown fruit. So this was Amos's moonlight job, to help the fruit develop mutualistically. 
the fruit were benefited, and then once the fruit were harvested, Amos was benefited from the crop that was produced in this way. Once again, we can easily understand that the different types of symbiotic relationships that God designed for specific purposes each testify of His creative power and benevolence toward His creation. When we study the home we live in globally, we are impressed by the remarkable number of the different organisms that daily interact with each other and in such a balanced way. That is remarkable. So all told, we see that these relationships with one another in organisms, whether plant or animal, or plant to plant, or animal to animal, they are all a part of a designed interdependence between the created entities that God has put on the earth. As our program comes to a close, we hope that you've been encouraged. It's our desire at ICR to show that the Bible can be trusted, both historically and scientifically, and to give facts that will build your faith. As Christians, we need to understand the scientific basis for our beliefs. We pray that this program will aid you in your discovery of science and the Bible. You know, most people aren't aware that today there are thousands of scientists that are convinced of the truth of biblical creation and not evolution. Our non-denominational ministry aims to restore and strengthen the Genesis foundations of the Christian faith. If you've enjoyed today's edition of Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, why not visit us on the web to find out more about the work of ICR. The address is www.icr.org. Again, www.icr.org. Science, Scripture, and Salvation, a Creation Radio Journal, is a production of ICR. For the Institute for Creation Research, I'm Chris O'Brien. Thanks for tuning in.